this is my neighborhood. I live here. This is my community. The CEO of Global, the head honcho show at JC DeCoe, they're not living here. This is our choice. We should be able to have this decision. Welcome to Message Recall, a podcast series exploring the history, tactics and psychology of advertising in public spaces. I'm Anna Mears. And I'm Tommy Chavan, and our recall journey continues by delving into the murky world of digital billboard advertising. These blinding halogen clean screen promises of better holidays, better bodies and polished up junk food are funded by corporations with a hell of a lot of power. Being wielded in a less than transparent way, I should imagine. All the biggest out advertising providers have highlighted that everything will go digital. That was Thomas. We're going to be hearing more from him later. Yeah, so the main ones are JC Dassault, Global and Clear Channel, which have the biggest share of outdoor advertising and all intend to digitise their advertising holdings. For the past few years, I've definitely seen more and more digital screens everywhere. Some places more than others, some cities more than others. They're starting to interact with us more. They're getting bigger. They're just popping up all over the place. I think it might be good to, first of all, imagine what that will be doing to our cities and our urban landscapes, but also what it will be doing to us. Digital billboards are part of what the industry calls out-of-home advertising, which also includes bus stop adverts, the sides of taxis, the screens that you get on the side of escalators, they're everywhere. And 98% of people in the UK are exposed to some sort of out-of-home advertising every single week. Billboards make up 66% of this hugely growing industry. And William Eccleshare, the CEO of Clear Channel, describes the industry as the last true mass-reach medium because all the other platforms rely on a plethora of individual choice, but a billboard will hit the eyes of all that pass regardless of their tastes. They're meant to be shiny and colourful and attractive. They're meant to draw your attention. So as soon as you notice, hang on, these are everywhere. Suddenly, they can feel really oppressive. Just the lack of power that we really do have with these massive structures that have such a big influence on our day-to-day lives and it feels like there's not really much we can do about it. So on JC Dassault's website, they proudly state the major UK cities where their billboards are present and they include London, Manchester, Edinburgh, Leeds, Sheffield and Bristol. But in Bristol, there's been a bit of a pushback from this expansion of digital billboards. So about three years ago, a group called Adlock Bristol started the fight against billboards in our city. My name's Lee and I'm part of a campaign called Adblock Bristol. And basically we're trying to liberate public spaces from corporate advertising and give people an option to choose what they want to see in their communities. I think we've just really started a public conversation about why it is that we're so attuned to seeing adverts everywhere we go. It's definitely something that I noticed and I wondered why there isn't more of a public conversation around this topic. One of the most common responses is that people just haven't really thought about it. So sometimes we'll kind of, you know, try and hold events or just literally get out there on the streets and, uh, and engage people in conversation, ask them what they think. 
When I think about it, I can't ever recall being asked by my local council or councillors whether I actually agree with having these billboards in the first place. No one ever consults us. You know, if you if you want to turn off the adverts when you're watching telly, you've got the option to do that. But somehow you haven't got that same choice when you go out taking your kids to school or walking your dog or whatever it is you're doing. And on the flip side of the coin, maybe there are good adverts as well. To be brutally honest, a good advert is not an advert. If you're talking about a message that's being displayed there publicly on a billboard, that is for the benefit of the community, maybe it's, I don't know, a public health message, maybe it's like check in on your neighbour, don't forget to water your houseplants or whatever, that's not an advert. Corporate advertising, and the reason that corporate advertising dominates our public space is because it's trying to sell us stuff. It makes us feel that we need something because without that need, we're not gonna be motivated to go out and spend our money on it. And by driving that feeling of need, what it fundamentally is creating in us is a sense of insecurity and planting this seed that we are not enough. They also stressed how this is having a detrimental impact on our mental health, with companies feeding us damaging messages to sell products that are not ultimately good for us either. So the distinction between adverts and public messaging is that an advert sells something that is not promoting public well-being and health. Well, that's a useful distinction. And the thing that's quite difficult is the marketing strategy and tactics behind both public messaging and advertising can sometimes feel really similar. Mm -hmm. Are they trying to make money out of me or is this actually something I need to take on board? And any health messages might get stifled by this deluge of images and things that are trying to grasp our attention. Within this context of attention economics, we need to be just as strategic as the people trying to grasp our attention. If you're in uh, a higher income neighbourhood, certain areas classed as conservation areas, it's automatically much harder to get a development like a billboard put up. If it wasn't the case that these things had a negative impact on the area, then they would be everywhere. Hmm. And you can imagine that the people that live in Clifton, which is a wealthier area in Bristol, and there are not many billboards, these are the kind of people that are going to kick up a fuss if a billboard does get put up in their neighbourhood. The fact is, is that they're not in those places because there's a realisation that they, they do have a negative impact. So they decide to take advantage of the low-income areas and put these things there instead. Personally, I was unaware that we even had a choice if these things went up. There is a system in place, but it's not very visible. People don't know that it's there. With a billboard, it's incredibly hard. You've got to jump through many hoops. You've not got to only, first of all, find out about new applications for billboards in your area which is quite difficult and uh, respond in the proper way which involves like a certain degree of literacy that it, I, I'm sure is exclusionary to many. You've also got to fit your response, your, your formal objection into the right criteria. It's not enough for me to say this is my home, this is where my family live, I want to be able to take my kids to school without having to walk past billboards that are going to show junk food messaging, that's not enough. That's, that's literally an insignificant statement in the eyes of the planning department. And for me, one of the things that strikes me the most about these digital billboards is they're usually placed on the side of a road, which would seem to be quite a distraction for passing drivers. I mean, mobile phones are clearly a distraction when driving. And even recently, the UK government has further tightened the mobile phone driving laws. So what's changed? Because what was it before, that you weren't allowed to make calls? Before, it was illegal to hold your phone, to text or make a call. Now it's also illegal to be scrolling on your phone while you're driving, so you can't be, say, looking for a song on your playlist or 
finding somewhere on a map. In the article that you've sent, it says that the roads minister, Baroness Veer, said, our roads are some of the safest in the world, but we want to make sure they're safer still by bringing the law into the 21st century. So she also points out that it's distracting and dangerous for people to be using a phone at the same time as driving. Yeah, which is true. And I also think that if you're aware of that, then you have to be aware of the distractions that's caused by massive adverts on the side of roads. I mean, this could be a step in the right direction because it feels so obvious, right, that if we're looking at road safety and minimising distraction to drivers, surely then the next step is digital billboards. These billboards exist to draw the attention of drivers. If we're drawing the attention of drivers, they're going to be looking out for cyclists less. So it seems what's missing is some sort of proof that these digital billboards are a distraction for drivers. But in some ways, you'd have to wait for something really bad to happen. And even then, how would you even prove that it was the billboard that distracted the driver and caused the accident? Well, that's the thing, Tommy. There are actually studies that show that removing billboards from roads does actually reduce the number of crashes. For example, there was a 2010 study done on a major highway in Tel Aviv, which looked at the number of crashes before and after a billboard was removed. It's really conclusive evidence. They found that once the billboards were removed, there was a decrease in crashes of more than one third. They also found that the severity of the crashes was less when the road was billboard free, which suggests that when people are distracted by billboards on the road, the type of accident that can happen is even worse. But it's still considered as the driver's fault, as they should remain undistracted. Yeah, there's an element of personal responsibility. You wouldn't say I was looking at the billboard because that would still feel like it was your fault, even though, you know, having this conversation now, it feels pretty obvious that that's that's the fault of the advertising company and being very clever and taking your eyes away from the road. So going back to Adblock in the UK, what are the valid reasons to object these billboards being put up? You need to fit certain criteria in planning terms. There's three things that they care about. Amenity, which is a bafflingly vague term that generally is meant to relate to the way in which people use an area. Road safety is another. So obviously a billboard at the side of the road that's designed to distract drivers' attention is going to put uh, a greater risk on that driver than having an accident because their attention has been distracted. As we've discussed already, that in itself is quite difficult to prove. But there must be a restriction to the number of billboards that are actually put up. So there's this phrase called cumulative impact, which basically means that the more billboards you have up, the more of an impact it has on the area. But then on the other side of this, you've got this idea that once we've already got loads of billboards up... What's another one anyway? Uplop Bristol creates a simple guide to help residents navigate the planning system. And let's face it, who's got time for this? You know, we've all got lives to be getting on with. And also, I think the main thing is just making sure that people know about it and reporting back the results afterwards. Because when you get a little notification that comes through that says, OK, we heard that there were 50 objections and on the grounds of road safety, the committee have decided to reject this application. It's the best feeling ever. And it is so motivating because then when the next one comes in, you go, oh yeah, it worked last time. We can do that again. And so last year we stopped, I think, 21 digital screens from being put up and already there's been a lot this year. There's a lot of screens they've stopped being put up. Just think what Bristol would look like if this group weren't working hard objecting to all these new billboard applications. 
And the other thing that we slightly touched on when talking to Lee was the increase of technology being adapted into these outdoor advertisements, which include cameras, monitoring systems, to enable them to interact more with the consumer. In Beverly Hills, I believe they've been trialling this stuff. If, For example, if you've enabled Wi-Fi um, and you've plugged into one of these um, advertising units in the past, then the next time you walk past there, they're going to know. And so you might expect a text in your pocket. How are you doing? We've got a sale. Why don't you come in and try out our jeans? This is where it starts to get really uncomfortable. Yep. And it relates to a conversation we had with a researcher from Royal Holloway University who's been looking into how out-of-home advertisers are developing and using technology that not only responds to, but influences our environment. We first contacted Thomas because he undertook PhD research into subvertising, so we asked him a bit more about his findings. Hi, I'm uh, Thomas de Keyser. I'm a researcher in the Geography Department at Royal Holloway, University of London, and I've been primarily focusing on politics of subvertising and, I guess, more broadly, kind of outer advertising and in cities. Somewhat ironically, Thomas used to work for a big ad agency until he came across subvertising and became interested in the group Brandalism. I spent some time with them to better understand what they do, why they do it, how they do it, what their kind of broader aims are. So from what I understand, subvertising is a form of activism that generally parodies political and corporate messaging. It's basically subverting the messages that we receive in advertising. Indeed, usually this comes in the form of bus stop or billboard takeovers. And we see a lot of this in Bristol and other cities too. And one of these groups is Brandalism, which is a group that Thomas mentioned. And there are loads of other groups like this and individuals who do this kind of activity all over the world. And it's quite a divergence from when Thomas used to work for a corporate advertising company. Yeah, it sounds like it completely changed his outlook on what he was doing. I basically did not want to spend the rest of my life selling stuff to people that probably don't need that stuff on a planet that doesn't need more consumption. So I kind of realized, yeah, I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing this. Then Thomas decided to research in what the motivations are for these subvertisers and what are the type of methods that they use. As he also believed that it's primarily corporations who are able to speak to us and it's very kind of one directional. And what subvertisers do, I think, is um, reimagining communication in the city in a way that is much more democratic. So this relates to what Lee was talking about with how when we walk around the city we don't see the values and voices of the people that live there. It's all about just looking around and being sold stuff. All the biggest manufacturers, all the biggest outdoor advertising providers have highlighted in their kind of future reports that everything will go digital. And obviously that has serious repercussions for not just what advertising looks like in cities, but also how it manages to kind of influence us and then in turn, how we manage to influence those spaces. So Thomas has actually been doing research into the ways in which advertising companies have entered into public spaces using their advertising and also what the impact is, not just on individual members of the public, but on the public spaces themselves. And the way in which these technologies like digital billboards shape public behaviour through a concept I'd never heard of called concretization. So the idea of concretization is it's a philosophical concept and it basically refers to how a technology, as it becomes more advanced, becomes more and more compatible and more and more capable of interacting with its environment. 
So concretization is the concept where a billboard will kind of become the master of its own space and it is no longer subject to these three key vulnerabilities that Thomas highlights. So the first vulnerability is vandalism. This is people coming and writing on them, taking them down. Second one is weather, so overheating, so it's no longer effective. And the third one is this concept of wastage, which we'll come to. What would not be considered a, a concrete object is a very sort of traditional bus shelter adverts. If, if the glass is broken, it can take a few days before the auto advertising company knows that this is taking place. More technologically advanced example where you have a much sort of closer interaction between object and environment is what today are the kind of most advanced digital billboards where, for example, if a digital billboard breaks down, then, that, then there are sensors in place to immediately send a message to the outer advertising company. Another way in which digital billboards concretize and overcome vulnerabilities is that they can sense the weather. For example, they can tell when they're overheating and they might have a self-cooling system to prevent that from happening. It would be able to manage its own temperature, its own climate and its own security. What that means is that you have an increasingly automated technical object. Yeah, so I completely see what you mean about these objects suddenly become a master of their own environment. It's quite creepy because they almost seem bulletproof. But at the same time, it's also able to respond to the environment in a way that affects its content, like what it shows, the message it shows. For example, if there's a woman standing in front of the billboard, then a kind of concrete digital billboard will be able to identify that person by their gender and then be able to send out a personalized message on that basis. So the final way in which digital billboards overcome environmental hazards which make them less effective is this concept of wastage. There's a lot of kind of research going on within the advertising industry. First of all, acknowledging, but also trying to better understand why exactly certain people don't necessarily respond positively to uh, advertising stimuli, basically referred to as wastage. And this is the bit where it gets really sinister. It's one thing to ignore a billboard that has a generic message out there that speaks to me or doesn't speak to me. It's another thing to say, hey, Thomas, I know you've been interested in this. I know this is how you're feeling. This is really the moment for you to buy this object because it does this, this and this. So this kind of personalization makes it much more demanding of us. And that, I think, has, a, has an influence on how we um, move through cities and our kind of emotional well-being. And personalised messaging will not only affect that individual, but disrupt how that individual situates themselves within a public context. It's very atomizing And much more difficult to ignore. It's a really targeted stimulus. So for people who already find cities and busy environments overstimulating, there'll be no let-up. People with sensory sensitivity or on the autistic spectrum and people who are already on the breadline or maybe struggling with addiction issues, for example. When you think about this, it's actually a really big social problem. So it could be almost on a one-to-one -one level that we become addressed. They manage to identify that we're male or female, that particular age, that we are laughing, that we are sad. And then you have betting advertising that's really personalised. That becomes really dangerous. Or you have fast food chains producing really personalized advertising for you, all of that, you know, can have really severe effects on our mental and physical well-being. 
that's just not something that's currently being talked about. How are they developing the tools to identify individuals? Is this facial recognition software? This is cameras, basically, that are already built into these structures with outdoor advertising on them. Things like bus stops and charging points and billboards. So they're not turned on yet, but why do we actually have them in there unless there's a plan to use them? There's been a lot of tests, obviously, of face recognition and showing that face recognition is often quite flawed. But, you know, they've obviously already installed them and they are there and the software and hardware is in place. They're just waiting for the right moment to roll it out on on a mass scale. And there's no one really who's going to stop them. So I'm not 100% sure what the payoff is for the council to have these big outdoor advertising structures within our cities. The basic argument that outdoor advertisers use is that they provide us with public infrastructure. Is there any traction in that argument? Do these structures and companies plug money back into our public services? Well, according to Thomas, yes and no. But even the yes comes at a heavy cost. Giving us a bus stop does not in any way balance out what we give to them. Let's say we buy a car, certain percentage goes into the marketing budgets, which ends up going to the media agencies, which ends up going, you know, into the production and the maintenance of these outdoor advertising spaces. It's not a, you know, it's not a charity. So we've seen so much recently about cookies and giving consent online, always clicking, yes, I accept, I agree, you can use my information. And we've also recently had this updated GDPR legislation. It's really on the top of everyone's minds, but it's bonkers that we don't actually consent to this in our physical environment. So I guess the key difference between online spaces and in person is that when we're online, we can opt out of it. We can unsubscribe. What about this increasing exposure to digital stimulation? Is that a problem? Absolutely, because I mean, people are talking about reducing the amount of screen time they have. And with kids, you know, reducing the amount that they're using their phones, looking at TVs and computers. It certainly feels like it would be an issue to add billboards into the mix. You can have digital stimuli. You can have a lot of it. I don't think personally it's digital spaces as such that cause the harm. I think that it's more about what we're constantly being told, how we're being told it, and by who that, it's, that is the problem. And so we end up in a, in a type of city that is, is really good at convincing us that its kind of corporate interests are also our own interests. So what can we do to subvertise digital spaces? How can we apply this subvertising and changing the message to digital billboards? So this is where the bar really changes, because suddenly we go from a can of spray paint, a bucket and some paste, to hacking. A lot of these outdoor advertising companies, they are currently taking a lot of pride, actually, in these kind of anti, what they call anti-hacking features. And in their terms, anti-hacking features are basically mechanisms to avoid people from interacting with those spaces in ways that are not compatible with their kind of corporate interests. So now we're talking about this form of concretization, which is when the billboard is able to overcome human vandalism. With these kind of new anti-hacking features that we find in digital spaces, it becomes a matter of sometimes seconds before the unofficial content is being taken down. So essentially, these billboards are able to police their own content. It requires very particular skills to be able to obviously hack into digital spaces, whereas pretty much everyone can use a can of spray paint and write over 
paper billboards if they disagree with it. The legal repercussions are much, much higher. You basically move from what is essentially criminal damage to kind of the territory of computer misuse acts, which basically means corporate hacking, which can lead and has led in the past to arrests and people ending up in jail. Suddenly, the traditional paper billboard seems fairly timid as it grips onto the advert as long as it can before the weather bleaches it, wears it down, or before it's ripped, sprayed, or pasted over by the activists, artists, and febrile disruptors, until eventually a van pulls up with some new fresh prints to begin the process again. Some may see this as vandalism, but in cities and towns where individual choice and diverse voices should be celebrated, it seems technology has developed the protection and security for these dogmatic corporate slogans to have an uncomfortable dominance in our streets. The messaging used in these billboards often plays on our individualism and uses it against us in order to push the corporate agenda and manipulate us into buying things. The irony is that in doing so, they are actually squashing our individualism by controlling our behavior and telling us what to think. And once these huge structures are put up, it's very difficult to get them taken down again. And the monitoring systems that are installed in them can be steadily and easily updated and the cameras switched on. It would just be such a relief to not constantly be told how to feel or how to act. Try and imagine, try and experiment with what another type of city might look like that does not involve that domination by uh, digital advertisers. We have to prevent the ongoing expansion of these spaces in our cities, because it's not just a question of being for or against advertising. I think it's a question of do we want democratic cities? Do we want cities that are for people who live in them, who travel through them? Or do we want cities that are about maximizing the gain of massive corporations? You know, a corporation like Yesi Deco is, belongs to the top 10 biggest media companies in this world in terms of profit. That says something, you know, this is not a small industry. People think of it as a small industry, but it's, it's a massive industry and it's tied up with a variety of problems. In terms of preventing the, the ongoing spread of these spaces, I think there's a lot of campaigning that can be done and a lot of kind of legal work to be done on a local level. I think in terms of the existing spaces out there with that technology, I think it's about finding creative ways of um, intervening into them, preventing planning permissions from getting approved is one of the, the greatest things we can do or the most efficient things we can do. It's this constant drive to consume and then throw away so that you can consume some more um, that, that, that's really central to the environmental crisis that we're facing. Yeah, so shout out to the other crews that are just getting started. And if anyone else is interested and you don't hear your city listed, then get in touch by all means. We'd love to have a chat. Uh, so Ablock Cardiff, Ablock Brum, representing the West Midlands, where I hail from. So big up them. Uh, Ablock Leeds, um, Ablock Exeter have just gotten started. Maybe it's a bit uh, intimidating thinking, oh, I don't want to set up a group really. I'll just this billboard on my road that's really annoying. Then that's great too. We'd be really happy to share um, share resources and information and give you some advice. Uh, so there's people all over the place in the Midlands, uh, down in Brighton, some guys down in Cornwall doing some really exciting stuff. Uh, all over London, there are there are various kind of little pockets of groups that are that are getting organised. 
So all that's left is to say a huge thank you to our contributors Lee Coghill from Adblock Bristol and Thomas DeKazer from Royal Holloway University of London. This podcast was researched and co-produced by Callum Sims, Morgan Tipping, Anna Mears, Charlie Gracebrook and Tommy Chavan. Also, thanks to Emily Tricarico, Robbie Gillet and Hugo Pirello Sanchez. The edit and sound design was done by myself. The message recall opening and closing music was by Mishima and all of the music can be found on the message recall website. Please do subscribe or follow this podcast and share it with anyone you might find it interesting. And finally, watch this space for the next episode of Message Recall. Thank you.